Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. Hey, canine. Are you talking to me, lateral incisor? Yeah. This must be important for you to talk to me. Can we dispense with the baggage? It's just that you usually act like you're better than me. Look, if this were Kira Knightley's mouth, you'd be a big star. Never mind that. I think we have a situation. What do you mean? There's something stuck between us. Oh, I know, right? I thought it was my imagination. Is it spinach again? It feels bigger than that. What should we do? I don't know. I'm not smart. Ask the wisdom tooth. Say what? Ask the wisdom tooth. Dude, you were at the memorial service. I forgot. Oh, God, poor Wizzy. What a horrible way to die. When those forceps came in, it was like a Transformers movie. If we don't do something soon, she's going to floss it out. Oh, God, I hate that. It hurts. Yeah, it's like Fifty Shades of Enamel. Wait, somebody's coming. Oh, crap. Is that a toothpick? No! Call Amnesty International. We interrupt this drama to bring you a radio show about teeth. And now he's been ticketed for non-approved use of a water pick, Colin McEnroe. Yeah, that's just a citation, though. It's not e- not even a misdemeanor. Um, it's my water pick. I should be able to do what I want. All right, so we are going to talk about teeth today. This is a show produced by Lydia Brown, who's been thinking about her own teeth uh, a bit lately. So uh, she thought, eh, let's do a show about teeth. Uh, there are so many things to say about them. We're going to approach them from a number of different angles. Uh, in just a second, uh, you'll be hearing regular contributors to the contributors, the wrong one, regular guest on this show, uh, June Thomas, with the drama of her own Manchester, England teeth and how they turned into American teeth. Uh, also, later in the show, we'll talk about, I mean, really, there is no other part of the body that I'm aware of that has its own fairy. Uh, so, but because partly there's no other part of the body that kind of does the thing that teeth do. So uh, we'll talk about the evolution of the story of the tooth fairy. Oh, not that it's a story. Obviously, there is a tooth fairy. But um, and also we'll also talk about sort of tooth fairy inflation. There's a cost spiral in, dentist, in dentistry, also a cost spiral uh, among tooth fairies uh, and tooth fairy reimbursement rates. So um, as we by the way, as we get to that, we would love it if you would either call us or you could tweet us at WNPR.org. Um, what does your tooth fairy, the tooth fairy who operates in your neighborhood, what is the current rate of reimbursement uh, from that tooth fairy? Uh, we're taking an unscientific poll about that. But maybe we should just sort of begin at the beginning. Joining me in studio is Dr. Thomas Peters. He's a Connecticut-based dentist who practices uh, Farmington Valley Dental in Farmington, Connecticut. Um, as such, he has the opportunity to work on Kyle and Wolf's uh, Farmington bread teeth. Um, and well, um, let me just begin at the beginning. What is a tooth? I mean, I sort of think about it as kind of a bone that I eat with, but it's not really a bone. No, no, Colin, it's not a bone. This may explain my, my, all of my problems with dental hygiene was that I thought my tooth was a bone. No, uh, the outer surface of a tooth is made up of enamel, which is much harder than bone. It's the hardest substance in the body. Um, it's mostly inorganic. Uh, underneath that is uh, more of an organic layer, which is dentin. Uh, and then inside of the dentin, we have the dental pulp and the vasculature that uh, supports this organ, which is known as the tooth. Uh, actually, my teeth also have a layer of nougat 
uh, somewhere under there too, which also is a, is another problem with them. So, so when we think of the, and, and maybe we can also as a way of kind of getting us uh, ready for the tooth fairy thing. Um, why is it that we have deciduous teeth? Deciduous isn't that a word that gets used? Why do we have why do we have two sets of teeth? I mean, we don't have two sets of anything else, do we? Uh, no, uh, sharks have more than two sets, mm. but uh, we have two two sets of teeth. Fortunately, so when a, a younger patient gets a cavity, I tell them they have the opportunity to do better the next time around. Mm. The deciduous teeth or primary teeth or baby teeth are very important because they help preserve space in the mouth for the adult teeth. Sometimes parents are under the misconception that baby teeth aren't important. Mm. They're very important because they help preserve the space in the mouth for the adult teeth. And a premature loss of baby teeth can lead to more uh, uh, difficult orthodontics later on. But, I mean, this may be sort of too much of a why do cows eat green grass and give white milk a question, but why, why in other words, well, sure, the baby teeth hold the place for the adult teeth. Why don't we just get adult teeth? We don't get a baby heart and then grow an adult one. I guess we'd have to ask God for that. All like right, that. so that's, that is one of those kinds of right. big questions. I, one of the things that strikes me is that, um, as we were preparing for this show, is that, well, I mean, actually, before I even get there, one of the things that your profession has come to see is that, it doesn't the dental hygiene, the dental health, and dental malady, dental sickness, dental illness. It's not doesn't really stay confined to your mouth. That would be great if it, if the if the sickness part of it did. But this is a system that's kind of integrated with all the other systems in our body. And there actually are links I gather between uh, dental hygiene or lack of dental hygiene and really the kind of serious life threatening maladies that we worry about. Can you say say, yes. say some more about that? Absolutely, there have been shown to be links and associations with uh, poor oral hygiene, which leads to gingivitis with uh, a link or association with their finding with pancreatic cancer, lung cancer. We all heard about the heart disease, strokes. It mm -hmm. makes diabetes more difficult to treat. So uh, I tell my patients, basically, uh, flossing is not just saving your teeth. It could save your life. But right now, it's links and associations, but they seem to be getting stronger every day. So it would be foolish not to floss. It, you're saying floss, too. This is something that over the years that I've concluded, not that brushing your teeth isn't a great thing to do. It is a great thing to do. But I feel like flossing, if you could only do one thing for some strange reason, yeah, you're nodding, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, so I tell the sequence, floss first, mm -hmm. brush second, and if you want to use a mouth rinse, use a mouth rinse third. Listen, as long as I've got you here. So the other thing, I mean, I don't know. It seems now there are like all these other things you can get, stimulants and the little things that are like really fancy toothpicks. And, and then these little, little, eeny, tiny brushes. I mean, like these little, they look like the kinds of things you'd clean like a dish out with, right. except you'd have to be uh, a little tiny fairy living on the head of a pin. Are all those things kind of useful? Yes. Uh, those are probably, you're talking about a proxy brush. So the hygienists out there probably will customize the armamentarium that you need mm -hmm. to remove the bacterial plaque because plaque is what causes gum disease. Your gums don't bleed unless plaque is present. So we don't want that because no. then it leads to all these other That's bad diseases. Right. It seems as though, and when June gets here, I think we're going to um, kind of elaborate on this a little bit. Um, it seems as though, given everything that we're just saying, that people should, and, and because given all the things that can go wrong with your teeth, that people should be hypervigilant about teeth. I feel like we're not, though. I feel like many of us are not. I'm sure I'm sure Betsy Kaplan is very hypervigilant about her teeth but um, because she is about everything. But I think for a lot of us, the, uh, the definition of a problem with your teeth 
is something that's really started to hurt so much that you can't eat. That's actually sort of a misconception. One of the first things I learned at dental school, and I did go to our fine University of Connecticut School of Dental Medicine, was that dental pain is the exception Mm. rather than the rule in the presence of dental pathology. Mm. So most dental disease, you're not even aware of it, uh, that it's present. That's why you need to go and get your teeth checked. uh, Right. But but it seems like it's the opposite. It's like really this is something that we defer. It's like if I I had the slightest reason to suppose that there might be some problem with my heart, you know, I'd be uh, off to see my Dr. Jack immediately. Um, but people sort of like, I don't know, like teeth can wait somehow? Uh, they, they, they think so, yeah. So I do see some of that. But again, I try to tell them that most of the time uh, dental pain is the exception rather mm-hmm. than the rule in the presence of dental pathology. So that's sort of, uh, that's an argument for, I mean, if, if some of us, maybe me, operate on that assumption that if something really hurts, I should go to the dentist. And the rest of the time, I kind of don't. And that's like the opposite of what I should do. If, if for the dental phobics out there, they really should have their teeth checked at least twice a year mm. to prevent things from getting worse. Right. I, by the way, I go to Dr. Jerry, the dentist who caters to cowards, and I do have my, de- my teeth checked on a regular basis. But, but I'm also, I'm a procrastinator, you know, and I think it's just sort of like going to the dentist is this thing. It's going to be... It's going to take a while. It's going to take an hour out of my busy day and that kind of stuff. Another motivator is the possible link or association with uh, systemic disease. Right. Now, actually, since this came up, uh, I'm a lot more motivated. Dr. Jerry is going to be seeing a lot more of me uh, in the near future. Uh, joining us now is June Thomas. She's a culture critic for Slate. Uh, she may, she's got to be close to being the the record holder for being a guest on this show, although there's like <laughs> five or six other people probably competing, not counting nose panelists. And today's not the nose, it's the tooth. So uh, June Thomas is joining us now. We've talked to her about many, many things, but we have never talked to her about teeth. Although the minute that Lydia started talking about the tooth show, I said, well, you have to get June Thomas because I read everything that June writes. And I know that she wrote an epic um, multi-part saga almost like an Icelandic lay or something uh, about the, her own adventures with her teeth and then everybody else's adventures too. So June Thomas uh, joining us now. I can hear you chuckling in the background. That's a reassuring sign. Welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited that you're tackling this topic. Well, now, ordinarily for you to tell the story of your teeth, we'd probably have to have someone playing a lute or lyre or something <laughs> while you... Uh, did this in, in iambic pentameter. It's a long story. Right. So we'll have to do the short, less musical and dramatic version of this. But it begins with the fact that you grew up in the industrial north of England, in Manchester, where basically the standard for, you know, for average normal teeth is kind of Austin Powers, right? Well, you know, more than that, it was really dentures. Everybody I knew over the age of 25 when I was growing up had dentures. It was just something that people did. There was no sense of looking after your teeth uh, so that they would last a lifetime. It was just a kind of a practical question. No, when you basically when you get married, I guess, which for people of my parents generation was around 25, you would just have them all extracted and the dentist would actually come to people's houses. My mom and dad both had that happen when they were in their early 20s. And so, I mean, it was I could blame it on my parents, but really that would be a cop-out because, you know, I was a person who was aware of the world and I knew that it really wasn't cool to have all the decay that I had. And it was also incredibly painful 
And it wasn't for me, it wasn't about access, because at that time, uh, care in Britain was free uh, on the national health. So it wasn't, there weren't financial uh, difficulties. It was really just about the general surrounding culture being one where having nice teeth wasn't relevant because you were going to get dentures anyway. But then I didn't stay there, so I was stuck with really horrible teeth that were also really painful. So I then, as an adult, or as a young adult, who came to America, realized, okay, this is not going to fly. I can't have teeth like this in this country, not if I want to have any kind of life and, or a middle-class job. So I went about trying to sort it out, and it was, it was difficult and also extremely expensive. And it was all my fault. I, I will, you know, accept that responsibility right from the start. I didn't take care of my teeth. Uh, and even though I was a kid, when I got into trouble, it was my fault. You know, uh, June, this show is so not about tooth shaming. Uh, <laughs> I just, I don't like to hear you beating yourself up that way. It hurts. <laughs> it, it makes my teeth hurt uh, when you blame yourself like that. To, just to go back for a couple of things. First of all, I love the concept uh, the ingrained folk way, you know, the best way to deal with Bridezilla is pull all her teeth right then, uh, and then she can't bite anybody. But, um, but, but on a serious note, when you when you talk about these, the sort of embedded understanding of teeth, uh, and this is something that I think Americans will find a hard hard to wrap their minds around. You're talking about people who kind of don't really have toothbrushes and don't really know about floss, right? At that time, anyway, when you're growing up in the Manchester area, is that the way right. it is? Yeah, it was for me. I mean, it was, it was, I'd never saw, you know, my parents had dentures. I never saw anybody brushing their teeth. I'd never even heard of floss. Mm -hmm. So again, you know, I was going to a nice school. I should have been aware that my teeth were different from the other people's. And suddenly I, I ate a lot of sugary treats. Um, but it just wasn't part of the, you know, of, of life where I was growing up. It just like, if I, it would have been me saying to my mom, I think I need to have a toothbrush. I think I should brush my teeth or I should do it more uh, assiduously than I do now. It just wasn't part of our life. Um, and, you know, I do think that's unusual. And certainly in America, I don't think there are that many, you know, cultural groups where that's true. Um, and I think certainly when I go home now, I don't see people who have <clears throat> excuse me, have teeth like mine were. So I think it has changed. But, you know, that's just one that was happened to be the way that I got into trouble uh, with my teeth. For other people, it's it's different. And I think certainly in this country, it does tend to be more about finances and just kind of being able to get a an appointment with a dentist if you have coverage for Medicaid, as one in three American children do these days. Uh, June, uh, as you've been talking, we have in the studio with us uh, Dr. Thomas Peters, who's a Connecticut-based dentist. Uh, he's actually lost consciousness a couple of times just listening to your story. <laughs> We've had to revive him with smelling salts. I think he's able to talk now. Um, but, you know, uh, Dr. Peters, I mean, listening to her story, this is a, kind of an, an extreme presentation, but maybe not all that ex extreme. I mean, you probably have had to treat people in your life who are kind of coming to you as perhaps young adults having let things lapse quite a bit. And I'm wondering, I mean, is there a sort of a point of no return? Or, a, uh, I mean, are, are you able to turn somebody's oral hygiene around, even if it's not in great shape? Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, you know, we have dental implants now, uh, which allow us to um, restore a person's mouth and just educating them to take care of their teeth and prevention. We can help prevent problems from developing, and we can also basically uh, treat, 
conditions that are presented at the time when they first come in. So, June, uh, this is basically what you did. You uh, and and at considerable expense, right? In order to go from Manchester Teeth to uh, Upper East Side Teeth or whatever it was you were going for, right? Um, I, I, exactly. I'm not quite sure what it was because there, there are certain there are because it takes a long time, partly because of finances and partly. Uh, because just the, there was a lot of work to be done, and it's you know you do have to kind of match more or less even when you're going through this process. You know, it was I would say certainly seven very intense years of work. You know, with braces and 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 lots of uh, gum grafts and 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 implants and uh, a whole new set of crowns. And just a lot of work and and very expensive work. Um, and I was able to. You know, I don't. I don't look. I think like a native-born American. Certainly, my my teeth are not very white. They're not very shiny and gleaming. Um, but the main thing is that I don't really feel self-conscious about them anymore. Because when your teeth are even, you know, after a certain point, I had addressed the worst decay, and I, I, you know, the the very worst problems of my, you know, young myself, adolescent self had been addressed. But it had been done a little bit, uh, you know, piecemeal, and it, it, it was failing because, uh, you know, dental treatments don't always uh, last forever. And so, um, you know, it was a very long pro- project that really involved my dentist being often causing a lot of, of distress to the rest of her patients because it would overshoot um, you know, the the extent of the appointment and so on. So although some people often say, wow, you know, your dentist must love you. You know, you must have bought her an extent, extension to her home. She does love me, but, um, you know, it also is a real pain to have a patient like me. It causes a lot of disruption in your practice. It's very difficult work. I mean, dentistry, we have to remember, is often microsurgery. It, it's working on a very, in a small place, on a very, very exacting sort of scale. And so it's, you know, it was a it was a huge project both for me and for the I actually had a whole slew of dentists. The whole sort of twelfth floor of the of the medical dental building in Seattle was was known to me. But uh, you know, the my main dentist who did the restoration just it was a huge project for her as it was for me. Um and I think you've written that this uh was about forty five thousand dollars out of pocket. Yeah, I think at this point now, because some other things have happened since then, I'm about $50,000 out of pocket. Um, And I don't, and it's, you know, I think the really extraordinary thing was that I was able to spend that money. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, one of the things that I think is odd about dentistry, which, you know, the mouth and the head is part of the body, even though we treat it separately in terms of like medical insurance and and who we we go to see for the medical care. Um, But... Uh, you know, a lot of people decide that they're not going to address medical problems in their mouth because they can't afford it. Um, and it just happened that I, you know, looked on a job at Slate that at the time was owned by Microsoft that had really nice benefits. And, um, you know, I had the, the sort of the, the medical sort of plan that allowed me to put money aside and the dentist was willing to treat me. And it was, yeah, it was a huge event um and it took just a huge amount of of, of effort on on a lots of people's part the one way to look at it though june is that had you decided to go in the other direction and over <laughs> the same period of time just become a meth addict and let your teeth go you would have spent a lot more money on meth 
exactly. So it was definitely I made the right choice. Yes. But I mean, the fact that I, you know, don't have kids, that I, you know, don't have, don't drive as it happens, so I didn't have to spend money on a car. There were just lots of things that were unusual. I think that I was able to dedicate that amount of money because I know there are a lot of people who don't have fifty thousand dollars, and it wasn't because I was getting, you know metal grills or something it mm. was it, they, my teeth look perfectly average they're yeah. not anything special but they now look presentable they don't make me self-conscious and also i can eat a lots of foods that i wasn't able to eat before when my teeth didn't really match up um it's very difficult to eat sort of nutritional food which tends to require a lot of chewing oh, yeah. um when you really can't put your teeth together very well. A whole, a whole almond? You, I mean, you can't do that. Uh, all right. No. We, have to, we have to take a break here now. I just want to mention that later on in the show today, we'll uh, be playing a music by the hardcore punk band Gumgraft. It seems like that <laughs> should be the name uh, of a hardcore punk band. Uh, but we'll come back with more of June and of Dr. Peters. We'll be telling you all about the Tooth Fairy, too, uh, towards the end. Scale just makes that worse the way he says it. Doesn't it sound like it's going to be the worst with Patrick talking about it? Um, it's not a peppy, you know, happy kind of snow, sleet, and freezing rain mixed apocalypse forecast. All right, so um, we're uh, talking about teeth here, and uh, we're talking to June Thomas, culture critic for Slate, a uh, guest with us many times in the past, but not to talk about teeth. Also, Dr. Thomas Peters, uh, a Connecticut-based dentist whose practices at Farmington Valley Dental in Farmington, Connecticut. So, uh, Dr. Peters, at the beginning of this conversation, I was saying to you that I do feel as though people think about going to the dentist and, and taking care of their teeth a lot differently from how they often think about taking care of their body, um, whereas taking care of their body, for most of us anyway, it's, you know, if there's a problem or something we're worried about, we go and get it dealt with, whereas uh, when it comes to teeth, people make all kinds of excuses and make all kinds of delays and, and possibly worsen the problem uh, uh, that way. But there are some reasons for that that they don't necessarily make sense, but they're sort of understandable. One of them is, and you must encounter this a lot, and we just have had this uh, conversation with June about her out-of-pocket expenses, in a way that most of us who are comfortably health-insured don't, for the most part, um, have to worry about paying for certain things at the doctor's office. It's just kind of a different thing. I mean, the, the patients you deal with are probably pretty keenly aware of what things cost in a way that maybe they're not when they go see their, you know, their heart surgeon or their, their orthopedic surgeon or something. Well, absolutely. I, I do feel that the costs are a barrier to treatment. Fear is a great barrier to treatment, so we try to deal with the fear. Uh, as far as costs go, we, we try to offer uh, different ways to, you know, to pay for all this treatment, mm -hmm. uh, third-party financing, you know, stretching things out. Um, but we often tell them to, to start young to prevent the problems that June may have had uh, growing up in England. You know, the ADA, the American Dental Association, says by uh, you know two years old, maybe even younger, one years old, uh, children should go to the dentist and just proper uh, education to the parents, um, making sure that the baby doesn't go to sleep with a baby bottle with milk in it. Um, the sippy cup is a problem. They'll walking around sipping on white grape juice so it doesn't stain the rug. But that's a constant 
exposure to sugar, and if we could have just prevented that, could have prevented you know forty thousand dollars in uh, dental treatment later on. So it's to inform early, try to get the parents to bring the children in. If uh, you know the cultural was such that they didn't go, we try to stress the importance of it. it because the, uh, the the problems are much smaller to catch them earlier or prevent mm-hmm. them than to deal with them later on, as uh, June was saying. Um, June, uh, one of the, I mean, well, actually, I think you've talked about, even on this show now and, and certainly in your writing, one of the things that we're talking about with Dr. Peters here, this notion anyway that there was, you know, there was some member of Congress who did this. He dropped, he was a doctor, I think, but anyway, he dropped his congressional um, health coverage uh, and went uh, without insurance, just as kind of an experiment to see what it was like, and paid for everything and, and had conversations with his regular medical providers about what things cost and, and maybe even had some of the conversations that Dr. Peters is talking about, ways to uh, maybe work out a, a payment plan and stuff, and just found it was a radically different experience. But that's the mainstream experience with with obtaining dental care, right, is knowing how much it costs. Exactly. And it makes a huge difference. And, and you know, I think one of the things that we tend to get very hung up on in the, in the United States is, well, is it covered by insurance? And if it isn't covered by insurance, then obviously it's not completely necessary. And we make sort of conclu- we draw conclusions like that that are really not justified. Um, you know, personally, I don't have dental insurance right now. I So I because unless you're your employee is contributing to the, you know, is, is paying some for the coverage, it's typically not worth getting your own dental insurance because dental insurance isn't actually insurance for the most part because you can almost never get more in than you, get more out than you put in. So I think that consciousness of the cost of treatment is very, is, is, is both very key to dentistry. I think it is one reason that the, the dental profession has done amazing work in prevention. I think the medical side of the body should be in awe of what dentists have achieved with prevention. If, and if they did even a fraction of that kind of education, uh, I think they would be, you know, they w- there would be parades in the street. But one of the reasons is that people are very aware of costs. And even when you have top-of-the-line dental insurance, if you're having more than uh, cleanings, uh, essentially screenings, you're going to have to put your hand in your own pocket. Typically, there are co-pays. It's a cost-sharing kind of model. Um, and I do think that kind of helps get people engaged. Um, and they, they know they need to take care of their mouth. They know they need to do the take proper steps with hygiene and, you know, do essentially eat better so that they won't face a big bill. It's, it's somehow, if people haven't had a toothache, um, they don't know the intensity of that pain. It's hard to motivate them to say you're avoiding pain that you've never experienced. But people are aware of, well, you're gonna, it's going to cost you X thousand dollars if you need to have a crown or a, an implant. And that is a really good motivation for people. June, it's, it seems also that people, uh, maybe in a way that's kind of atavistic, uh, they sort of equate just going to the dentist with pain, right? That's the whole. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, while you were volitionally engaging in all this kind of high tech dentistry, I'm sure you were surrounded by American colleagues and friends and loved ones who basically don't go to the dentist any more than they absolutely have to because they think it's going to be painful. Yeah, I think especially you know I'm in my 50, early fifties, but still I'm in my fifties, and certainly when I was a kid, there was pain associated with a trip to the dentist. And not just because my teeth were a mess, it's just it 
you know, the drills were kind of slow and it kind of hurt. Now it's not entirely painless because usually there's that little prick or that you will feel something when they give you the shot. But they're really, for the most part, I've had a lot of very exotic treatments. There really isn't pain um, because they've made great steps as far as avoiding pain. Um, and again, that's something that the dental profession doesn't get the the respect that they deserve for. But I think people still, you know, you just have to have one bad experience and that's all you remember. Um, but yeah, but certainly it, it's not a bad thing to be to be wary of pain. Well, you know, and uh, not for nothing do I go to my, the, my dentist, who's an underwriter here at uh, Public Radio, uh, is known as the dentist who caters to cowards. Not for nothing if I made uh, that choice. Uh, but Dr. Peters, I think uh, another thing that happens is because of this, because people have, have made some kind of vague linkage or maybe very vivid linkage between the notion of dentist and pain, there's this kind of anticipatory thing that we do, right? That we So, so that pain that wouldn't bother us in the least, that would be like the most passing uh, sensation if we were just sitting in our kitchen uh, eating some raw almonds or something. It, it, it's, it, it has it has this looming uh, massive proportion if there's the tiniest bit of discomfort in the dentist chair. Well, the mind is a powerful thing, and fear gets compounded and built up. I have many patients who say, I love you, this and that, and they finally come in, and I almost feel I upset them because I didn't give them the pain that they were expecting. And then by the time they're done, they're so relieved. Yeah. And they're like, I'm not a big baby. I, I don't have problems with other types of pain. But, and I tell them it's only natural to be nervous, but after one or two visits and you let them raise their left hand if anything is uncomfortable, we stop immediately. Usually afterwards, there's such a sense of relief on their part that I say, let's, let's continue and finish while you're on this, uh, on this roll here, um, as opposed to trying to get the courage to, to go again. So oftentimes when, when we're done, they realize it isn't that bad, and I feel distraction is very important. We have TVs. Uh, headsets and all that. I tell jokes. It's my stage right there in the office. And uh, you just want to make them feel at ease. And it, that's where I get great satisfaction is not necessarily a, a veneer case or something like that, but bringing somebody to health and then no longer being fearful of the dentist. When they first come in, I ask them if they had any bad experiences in the past. And some of those experiences, you have to deal with that to, to try to over, overcome them. And then we let them know what we will do to try to prevent that from happening. Um, I bring my own hand puppets, beanie babies. Quite frequently, a couple of the hygienists plus the receptionists have to get involved and just in distracting me and entertaining me while this is happening. Although I do think, June, that one of the things that, well, you know, there's an interesting kind of Seinfeld-esque phenomenon that's happened now, which is that we are, are very good at entertaining ourselves. Uh, I often arrive at the dentist with some kind of machine that will play podcasts and, and my own set of headphones. Um, exactly. And, and, and and the the difficulty is that uh, Dr. Peters is not my dentist. Dr. Jerry is. but uh, And Dr. Jerry is very used to the fact that I'm going to put these headphones in. But I had to see an oral surgeon recently, and they kind of didn't get it. You know, they thought they'd be talking to me. <laughs> and they didn't really. Right. Go ahead. What are you going to say? I think you have to respect the dentist material. You know, they've yeah. been working on those on those lines. You know, they've got their delivery down. They don't want to waste it opportunity, especially, you know, a man like yourself. You know, known for his wit and humor, like they want to give you their best stuff. 
and you, you're there with your headphones in. I mean, I'm, I'm with them. Well, actually, the Dude, the, the, the risk is, and I don't know what Dr. Peters is out in the comedy clubs every night honing his material down. But actually, one thing that I've discovered, I, I did, I was listening to not a Slate podcast, unfortunately, but the Nerdist mm. uh, podcast, and something very funny happened while I had like sixteen different instruments in my mouth, and that you really kind of, and then maybe the dentist even had the drill in his hand or something. You really don't want to be laughing. Um, as as good a sign of, of that uh, as can uh, as uh, of your comfort as that might be, you really don't want to be laughing while people are, are working on you. So very quickly, no. just before we run out of time here, June, one of the things that you looked at, and we'll have both of you talk about this a little bit, is that um, for all the uh, fun and enjoyment that Dr. Peters gets out of, uh, first of all, entertaining us in our chair and taking care of our teeth and making sure that we don't get uh, other kinds of chronic systemic diseases from our teeth, um, there are fewer people going into his profession. What did you find out about that? You know, this is partly to do with um, big, you know, something that we've seen in the medical profession, too, or on the medical side of, of the profession, which is that, the, you know, the baby boom happened. And when the baby boomers were coming through, when they were, you know, at medical school, dental school age, there were incentives for people to go to uh, to do this kind of postgraduate education, which is quite long and extremely expensive. And now there isn't that support, and some of the bigger sort of some of the dental schools, especially at the more prestigious uh, establishments or institutions of learning, have closed. And so there are fewer. It's a kind of a demographic thing that there are fewer uh, dentists graduating than are retiring. Um, you know, it's always good to have a dentist who is younger than you. Although I don't, but uh, that's, that's always a good thing. Um, and because dentistry is. It's a very well-paying profession. Um, it, it, it attracts people who have an entrepreneurial bent. Most dentists in this country are self-employed. They are essentially small business people who are owner operators of a business. Um, and that is, you know, again, it's, it's great to, to have a profession that, that attracts that kind of person. Um, but it does mean that you know their their retirement funds are in the business, and so this sort of this decreasing uh, tail uh, that we're seeing, um, you know, might cause some issues because uh, you know it's not clear that that dentists will get the money out of their uh, practice that they've put into it. But that's that's something a little further down the line for most people, I think. Dr. Peters, I feel like this is a very sad ballad. What will you do when all the dentists have gone away? Uh, I used to have a dentist who sang to me in the chair. You you must be wondering about this. Well, there will always be a need for dentists because only dentists can do dentistry as as opposed to medicine where uh, radiographs are being interpreted overseas Mm -hmm. through the Internet. Uh, You still need the dentist's hands to to do uh, these procedures. But what if people don't want to do it? There seems to be plenty of dentists. You're not not worried. You're not worried. June has not succeeded in frightening At the University of Connecticut School of Dental Medicine, I'm I'm a mentor also, and I get to work with dental students. There's more students there now than there were when I was there, about 25% more. All right. Well, uh, of course, the the population is also a good deal. The population is also a good deal bigger right now. Mm. Um, And, you know, one of the things, it, it is, you know, I do love the dental profession, but I don't think it's quite true to say that only dentists can do dentistry. You know, more than 50 countries around the world have another role, different titles around the world, but dental therapist is one that's often used. And it's a kind of the equivalent for dentistry or for teeth and gums of the nurse practitioner. And, you know, the the dental profession in this country has fought 
strenuously against this role. It's now only operating in a very limited way in Minnesota and Alaska. And I do think that's uh, too bad because there are a huge number of people in this country, you know, for all our mirth, who, who have a lot of trouble getting to see a dentist, partly because of the owner-operated nature of it, that dentists really don't have much incentive to see people who can't pay full rate if they can fill their appointment book with people who can. And so, again, even though a third of American children have coverage provided by Medicaid or CHIP, those kids have a great deal of problems getting an appointment with a dentist because a lot of dentists won't see them at all. Only In some states, only about 10% of dentists see kids who have Medicaid coverage, and it's such a big part of the, of the childhood population. That really is a problem. So I, I think that saying that only dentists can do dental work is Certainly that's true at the moment, but I'm not sure that it should be true. I don't know. He was shaking his head at the first part of your statement. Well, I was thinking when I did my residency at UConn also, we spent time at the Bergdorf Clinic Mm -hmm. in uh, Hartford, and we had the uh, pleasure of working on um, young children at the most critical time was early on when uh, to try to to let them know that dentistry is is important for them. So that was very rewarding. Um, The dental schools... When I was like I was like I said, I went to school at UConn Dental School and did a residency, and we often worked on um, the the indigent. Um, we, we're going to have to take a break here uh, in Norway. By the way, they have robot hygienists already. I actually made that up, but it sounds like it actually might be true. Uh, June Thomas, uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's always a pleasure. I know it's always our pleasure. Uh, When we come back, okay, I have to say something. Don't play the music yet. I have to say something. First of all, the Tooth Fairy has asked us that uh, no children listen to this next part because there's just stuff, you know, stuff the Tooth Fairy can't lay bare his entire operation. Uh, It would be like Don Corleone opening his books to the IRS or something. The Tooth Fairy doesn't want the little children to know everything that the Tooth Fairy is doing. So uh, if you have little kids in the car or anything like that, uh, just, you know, put on Rafi or something. Uh, And (laughs) the rest of you, uh, feel free to tweet us about how much the Tooth Fairy is reimbursing in your neighborhood at WNPR Colin. You can call us at 860-275-7266. Brush as if your life depended on it. Be nice to your teeth. Or else you'll have to eat everything through a straw. Today's show was produced by Lydia. Hey, can you take these out, Dr. Peters? Ah, oh, thank you. Much better. Today's show was produced by Lydia Brown and me, Kyone Wolf. Greg Hill appeared in the intro and tweets for us at WNPR Colin. Katie Talarski is our executive producer. The part of Bill Curry was played by 9 out of 13 dentists who recommend Crest. For show pages, articles, and security cam footage from the Faith Middleton Show staff's nitrous oxide and popcorn party, visit our website, wnpr.org. On tomorrow's show, how do you pick a good name for a baseball team? And now, back to Colin. In fact, tomorrow at 3 o'clock, the uh, Hartford uh, leadership will announce the new name for the new baseball team. Uh, we will uh, investigate that. Uh, and we'll, we're going to do other stuff tomorrow, too. I mean, I just we won't do a whole show about that. Um, we actually may be looking at a very interesting controversy in Trumbull uh, about a painting hanging in well, that was hanging in the public library. We'll tell you more tomorrow. That's tomorrow. Uh, now it's time to talk about, uh, well, it's sort of the spiritual part of the show. It is indeed a time to talk about the Tooth Fairy. Uh, so the first thing we did was send our excellent intern, Julia Pistel, out into the streets of God knows where uh, to collect some information about people's suppositions and experiences with the Tooth Fairy. 
Did the tooth fairy ever come and take your teeth? Yeah, it did. Came pretty often. We always, I always left a letter of what we wanted. Not really. We are from India, so we didn't have that concept there. No, so there's no tooth fairy in India. No tooth fairy. I mean, there might be, but they don't come to us. <laughs> or, or our parents take the money. I don't know. <laughs> my teeth haven't fallen out recently, but the last time my teeth fell out was like in second grade, and I think I got, ugh, I think I got at least like ten bucks. Her tooth? Yeah. When you were a kid, what did you think the tooth fairy looked like? I really wasn't paying attention to what the tooth fairy looked like. It probably more like Tinkerbell, probably. Tiny, wings, green, shiny, sparkly. Tinkerbell. Like a big bunny, kind of like a Bugs Bunny type thing, yeah. That was the Easter Bunny. You don't know the difference between the tooth fairy and an Easter Bunny? Well, the Easter Bunny brings things that wreck your teeth. Like other bunnies made out of chocolate, all right? That's the Easter bunny. The tooth fairy comes and collects your baby teeth and gives you money. Uh, how much money is an interesting question. There are many interesting questions. And here with interesting answers is Michael Hingston. He's a journalist and writer who lives in Edmonton, Alberta. Uh, we'll have to have him back for our Northmanship show. But right now, uh, he has written recently about uh, the tooth fairy. So welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, we're very excited to have you. So w- when you looked back to, to try to locate the origins of this uh, eternal and deathless being, the Tooth Fairy, how far back did you find evidence uh, of that creature? Well, the, the weird thing, actually, is that it's, it's not, it doesn't go back far at all, um, depending on how you define you know, what you're looking for. Um, there's, there was basically one woman... Uh, in the Chicago area, named Rosemary Wells, who took it upon herself in the 1970s to kind of look into this because she was in the dental field. And she interviewed people and did literature reviews and all this stuff. The earliest reference she could find uh, that was written down came from the 1940s, I believe, and somebody later on found another document from the 1920s. But that's as far back as it goes. The oldest reference period she could find was from uh, an oral, like an interview she did with somebody who said that they kind of recalled when they were a kid around the turn of the 20th century uh, that the tooth fairy visited them. So best case scenario, it's, you know, she's barely 100 years old. So this, uh, so uh, children prior to this just simply accept that part of this is the circle of life. You lose some teeth, you get some teeth, nobody gives you any money for it, uh, and there's no tooth fairy anywhere to be seen. Did you come to any th- conclusions or theories of your own or encounter anybody else's conclusions or theories about why this mythological being would be necessary. In other words, I don't know. I cut my toenails. There's no toenail fairy. Uh, there's no eyelash fairy. There's no fairy for anything else. Why is there a fairy for this? Yeah, though that's that's a great question. And I mean, I should say the tooth fairy didn't appear out of nowhere. She's actually kind of the latest incarnation uh, of a ritual that as far as we can tell, it kind of exists in almost every human culture as far back as you can trace it. And uh, it it dates back to what you're describing, actually, which is, uh, I think, kind of a basic anxiety uh, on some level that, you know, you trim your nails, you trim your hair, but your tooth, your your baby teeth, they just fall out, Mm -hmm. which is kind of distressing, you know, to say the least. (laughs) And especially in an era, you know, where it's not the era of modern dentistry. I mean, you needed your adult teeth. If you're if you're if your teeth fall out, uh, you're you're stuck. Like there, people uh, human diets were a lot tougher. Uh, food was harder to chew. If you had broken teeth or even weak teeth or were missing a teeth, that could have real 
negative repercussions on the rest of your life. So out of this kind of moment of anxiety, there's all these rituals that people have filled in over the years to kind of more position it as a moment of transition. So the tooth fairy functions pretty well like that. She she makes you feel better. She brings you money. Uh, in other parts of the world, there are many other other figures, as, you, as uh, was alluded to in your previous uh, interview there, that, you know, in other countries, they don't have the tooth fairy. They have other similar creatures or other rituals they do. But the goal is always similar, which is to kind of soothe children and show that losing your tooth is actually kind of a rite of passage. It's a uh, step towards adulthood. Um, well, yeah, give us a sense. Uh, I think you did find some um, some rituals uh, in Germany, parents swallow, the, or they used to swallow the teeth, right? Yeah, I, I mean, a big asterisk next to that. Um, I don't think everyone <laughs> in Germany does that today, no, no. or, you know, maybe ever did. But that was one of the, the stranger ones, for sure, was that in one region of Germany, apparently, that was uh, that was done. And in Japan, there was... a larger list, though. I mean, yeah. in, the, in the 60s, another researcher uh, did a survey and came up with kind of nine basic variations of things that, that humans have done with their, their primary teeth. And uh, certainly... Swallowing them is, is one of them, but more of them involve things like uh, throwing them. You would throw them into a, into a fire mm-hmm. or sometimes even towards the sun. Uh, other people would bury the teeth to keep them away from animals. And then other cultures would actually offer them as gifts to animals, and that was kind of an invocation. Um, you would offer it to an animal that had strong teeth, so, so a squirrel or a beaver or uh, most often a mouse, and that was in the hope that your child's teeth would in turn grow in as strong as a mouth teeth. So um, one of the things that has kind of come up here is uh, the um, cost spiral uh, of, of teeth and dealing with the tooth fairy and what the tooth fairy uh, is coming up with these days. And by the way, we, we're still accepting uh, part of our unscientific polling, um, the, the numbers. I mean, I grew up, you know, shortly after the American Civil War, and it seems to me that we would get like a quarter or something like that. Um, and and we're seeing some pretty big numbers, people. We have a tweet from Lisa. It says, in our house, the Tooth Fairy gives $10 for the first tooth plus um, a present. And then there's you get $5 for every tooth after. That seems arbitrary, like there's a deductible yeah. or something. It just seems like, you know, why would there be a, a fluctuating rate? Did, what did you find out about this? Well, the origins of cost are interesting. So like I said, the, the, there are these rituals that kind of span human culture. The tooth fairy is a uniquely American creature, and there are two other things that Americans have added to this uh, you know, this longstanding tradition. One is actually giving money. Uh, there was an exchange for teeth. And then the other is giving money or a gift uh, for every tooth. Mm-hmm. So that's not, not common. So I think the advent of introducing money into the equation generally seems to have originated in uh, the United States. And then... Yeah, I mean, I've read some surveys that have said, you know, in the last five years, the prices have gone up 20% year over year. Uh, I'm not too sure what to make of that. Because you, you do see, there was a recent study that came out, um, two competing surveys that gave, you know, the averages of like $4.36 and another one was three forty. I think as long as you're giving one piece of money, that seems to be a manageable unit to me. Um, so whether that's $1, I guess $5, I mean, $10 seems like a lot to me, but, you know, one... A, doll, a bill of some kind makes sense, as opposed to emptying your pocket and seeing it add up to four sixty or whatever it is. Well, yeah. I, if you want some real shock from uh, Sarah Lippman, we've got a tweet. I had tooth fairy shock when I moved to Greenwich. My kids were telling me their classmates were getting twenty dollars a tooth. Uh, I told them. I, I told them. Unfortunately for them, 
uh, we lived in the low-rent Tooth Fairy district. Of course, that's Greenwich. <laughs> I mean, you know, the in Edmonton, $20 goes a lot further uh, than it does in Greenwich. Um, Dr. Peters, I'm assuming this is something you just don't get involved in, uh, Tooth Fairy questions, baby teeth no, questions. I, I actually do. Yeah. And, and I've noticed that the uh, the increase in the reimbursement by the tooth fairy is greatly beyond the rate of inflation. Yeah, it's, out of, it's, it's almost spiraling out of it's control. It's spiraling out of control. What's the longest anybody ever hangs on to their baby teeth? I mean, is, are they all gone for everybody by a certain age? Well, first of all, by two and a half, all the baby teeth should be in. Yeah. And then by around six, they start losing their, or exfoliate their baby teeth mm-hmm. up to around 13, mm-hmm. right around there. Uh, and it is correct to call them deciduous teeth. Deciduous teeth. I love that. Uh, and and so, but does anybody ever like wind up? I don't know. They're twenty and they still got one or something. Uh, yes. Sometimes there's congenitally they're missing the adult tooth, so the baby tooth will be retained. Yeah. Um, well, listen, I, 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 don't, I don't don't think I dare ask a, another question, but Michael Hingston, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I think you probably know more about the tooth fairy now than any human being alive. Does that make you feel good? Uh, yeah, pretty good. All right. Okay. You better watch out, though. The Tooth Fairy might feel threatened by that. Maybe you know too much. Um, (laughs) All right. Although there's no record of the Tooth Fairy ever doing anything vengeful or unkind, so I think we're okay here. So we want to thank uh, everybody who helped out with today's show. Uh, We had uh, uh, some great help from Wolfie on the board, and Lydia Brand produced this show, and I think Betsy's on. Is Betsy on phones today? Yeah, Betsy was on the phones today. Uh, And we will be back tomorrow with a very special special kind of show. Which is to say <laughs> that the show we were planning to do fell apart. So we're, we're, we're going to make this show up here in the afternoon. It's going to be exciting. We will deal with the new name of the new baseball team. Uh, thanks very much to Dr. Thomas Peters, Connecticut-based dentist, for being here. June Thomas from Slate. Michael Hingston, journalist and writer from Edmonton, Alberta. Uh, check out our website, WNPR.org. The show will be up there in a little while. Yeah, when you're still under your pillow in the new No, it ain't no fun when the tooth fairy don't come. Hey, kid, wake up. (gasps) The tooth fairy! Yeah, listen, you got two $10 bills to make change? Depends. What's the rate? Got a special tonight. Two for 20. Huh? (sighs) It's a deal. Thought you'd be a chick.